Okay. Now, let's say we're expert at blowing the bagpipe steadily with just two drones going. And let's say we're an expert at playing tunes on the practice channel with just basic grace notes. All we have to do now is put them together, right? Sounds simple. But it's not going to be it, you guys. So mm. major upgrades today to the podcast, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah. And really, it comes down to a four-foot-long Ethernet cable. Four feet? It's you were able to a, do it with four feet? Maybe it's a five-footer, but yeah, I ended up, yep, yep. Jim, that's embarrassing for you. Uh, and another... I already had the cable. It was in the drawer. It's been in my drawer for years. I just had never used it. Let's go. One of the first rules of inter the internet, by the way, Jim, <laughs> I, I certainly hope you'll not be cutting this out. People ask me all the time, Andrew, how do you, how do, you do all this so well? Mm. You know, Jim? And it all starts with the first rule of the internet. And you want yeah. to know what the first rule of the internet is? Is that yes. Wi-Fi extenders don't work. That's the first rule of the internet. So you know that thing they always try to sell you at Best Buy, the Wi-Fi extender? Just yeah, say yeah. no. Like the, it's in the category with uh, crack and other drugs that you should just <laughs> say no to. Like the Wi-Fi extender, it's a dream. It's, a, yeah. it's snake oil. It's not going to work. When in doubt, just run a little cable. It's going to be fine. Run a little cable from the router to your computer. If you actually need it to work, that's what you got to do. I'm hardwired in. My Wi-Fi router is just feet away from me. But I'm hardwired in anyway, because that's just what you do. It, it can be a, that can be a painful truth to grapple with for those of us who have wireless dreams, of course. But, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit of cable management, a little under desk mount, stuff like that. You can still pretty much make it cable free in, in essence. Yeah. And Wi-Fi is going to work. But if you're going to be doing like live streaming over the Internet, you really want to be just get the hardwire. That's a big thing. So there you go. That's the show before the show. The other important upgrade. By the way, Jim, are you at all concerned about the fact that, at least in my view, you're off-center? Does this concern uh, you, or is this no, part of the plan? No, don't worry. I, I will fix that in post. That's just me getting to where my mic isn't going to tip over today. And then last upgrade, which we've yet to see the results of, is I brewed my coffee at 200 degrees today mm. instead of boiling, instead of 212. Because I saw a thing on the internet where a guy was doing that. Watching you take that first sip is really putting me in the mind of an expert whiskey taster. And you're about to give us, I think you need a swirl. Oh, that's brandy. You swirl. Yeah, there you go. Get that mouthfeel. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm going to, I mean, it's more mellow for sure. It's more mellow for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that better? Not sure. We'll find out as the show continues. So there you are, Jim, all the upgrades. And now we're going into chapter eight of Finding Bagpipe Freedom. Yeah, chapter eight. This is where it gets real good. You might call it does. this the, the meeting of the waters. Oh, excuse the, me. The meeting of the dimensions. That's what it the, is here. The meeting of the dimensions. It's where the rubber hits the road, Jim. Yeah. Here, here we got rubber and road meeting for the first time. I think that what's interesting about this is there's a, there's going to have to be a moment. I haven't figured it out yet. Maybe someone, maybe a Joe Brady or someone of equivalent genius will call me someday and help me solve this equation. But really, at some point, mathematically, the rubber's going to have to hit the road, right? Mm. It's, uh, this is not a thing where we can just add one thing at a time in a perfectly seamless way. So the rubber is mm. going to have to hit the road at some point. I think what's cool about this, though, is that we delay the rubber hitting the road to later in the process than we would before. And I think we talked about that in a previous episode where 
we talked about how the typical way you transition to the bagpipes, you stick the chanter in and you, you start right away with some tunes. And then maybe later you add some drones in. And I think most people probably started on the practice chanter first, as opposed to really incorporating some basic rhythm skills first and foremost in the process in order to get good at that. So that what the we've definitely managed to spread things out a little bit. But in phase four, the rubber's going to have to hit the road. That totally makes sense. Maybe the traditional way of doing things has been to force rubber and road into contact way too early. And mm -hmm. that's part of what results in all kinds of problems and often people giving up on the dream and stepping away from it. Exactly. Um, it's so, a bandwidth so. problem, right? So mm. I, I don't know if you remember the old days of... I don't know. No, if I remember, remember the old days. Uh, but like uh, when Netflix was new, like when mm. Netflix was still like at least 50% DVD delivered to your door. Do you remember those days? Bro, I remember the days when it was 100% DVD delivered right. to your door. Exactly. I that, the pre-stream days. Yeah. Exactly. You and I, we've, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. But then, <laughs> but then they started with the streaming online, which by the way, was incredible. And I was an early adopter of this. Like I don't need to do DVDs anymore. I can just watch on my TV. This is incredible. However, back in the day, by the way, speaking of Wi-Fi routers and so on and so forth, mm. back in the day, your router was literally not really capable of streaming high definition movies all that well, was it? Do you remember mm -hmm. these days? For sure. Oh, for sure. It was yeah, like, it, it was not a given. Now that the hardware has been upgraded since then, now it's no big deal. Now you can do 14 high definition videos at the same time. But even if your internet speed was fast back in the day, your actual router wasn't able to handle it. But anyway, the reason I'm going with this analogy is because back in the day, do you remember when, if you were ready to sit down and watch the movie for the night, then you had the ritual of anyone else connected to your internet shutting down all the other devices yep, so that oh, you, totally. so you could watch the movie. And then if you did that, sometimes it would work really well. That mm -hmm. was the old days of Netflix. Like kids these days, they don't understand this. But you <laughs> yeah, used no to have idea. to like, <laughs> yeah, you used to have to make choices about what chewed up your bandwidth, right? Yeah. And I often think about those days when you look at a piper who's just struggling with trying to achieve too many things at once. Mm. Okay, so you want to talk about, we want to be able to allocate our bandwidth to just one thing at a time, which by the way, isn't actually going to be achievable in the purest sense of the word, like at certain times, there's going to be a couple of things that we're going to have to do. Yeah. However, if you can get these activities to be low bandwidth, and I think we've talked about this in the past too, the idea of unconscious competence, right? So right. if we can get the process of blowing steadily on our bagpipe, if we can get that to the point where it's second nature, then we can allocate other key areas of our bandwidth to different bagpiping areas, right? And, uh, it, it which is really leave. important. Those skills like, like blowing steady might not leave the stove top entirely, but we can shift it to the metaphorical back burner and have the finger yes. work in the walk that's up front and center or whatever. Absolutely. I'm just having a lot of fun digging for analogies here. Yeah. And that's great. I think that's spectacular analogy wise. I think you're right on the mark. And then the other thing I would just say is that I think at the end of the day, what do we want our bandwidth to be allocated towards? We want it to be allocated towards expressing ourselves. We want, yeah. we want to be allocated towards creating some sort of vision that's ours, right? That's what we want it to be allocated towards. However, if it's always allocated towards like, how do I physically keep these pipes going? Or, yeah. or I got to get the Terloth right coming up in this part. Or 
my blowing's not that steady, so now I have to worry about that. If our focus is always allocated towards that, it's going to be really difficult to then stream the high-definition movie that is self-expression. You might get standard definition expression, but we want high definition. We want 4K self-expression, people. Yeah. And it occurs to me, too, that utilizing this analogy, that Mm. if we are in this situation where the bandwidth isn't sufficient to cover everything we want to do, if we just accept that situation as this is just the way it is, Mm -hmm. then in many ways we end up living, I believe the phrase is, below, beneath our privilege, as it were. Uh, We could have way better higher definition videos and better better music, et cetera, mm-hmm. if we understood these things. But if we just accept this as the way it is, we'll just go on struggling at standard definition forever. And I feel like that happens with yes. bagpiping. It happens it's the with fallacy. For... It's the fallacy of mercantilism, Jim. Mercantilism. Do you remember, do you, do you remember mercantilism? No, I don't. Uh, I think, and, and I'm probably butchering this, but if, if I'm remembering correctly, mercantilism was sort of a predecessor of capitalism. It was, mm. the Id- it was the idea that there's a finite number of resources okay. and, that, and that life is about trying to get as much for yourself as you can. Whereas theoretically, now, great, I'm not trying to sell people on capitalism if that's not their jam. But whereas theoretically, capitalism is about the creation of new wealth, right? Mercantilism, I think. And, I, and again, please hit me in the comments. I'm sure I'm way off here, but. Whereas mercantilism is the idea that like, oh, like Jim, he's got a bunch of gold. We better sail over there and grab it. Because if we don't do that, there's no way we can be wealthy, right? Mm, mm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. I don't think I, 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 was that a little Tim Allen there? A little home improvement? That to- I can see I mm, makes mm, sense mm, to mm, me for mm. sure. What was actually in my yeah. head was the regular show. But yes, that, that, that makes ah, sense. Too. Okay, yes. Yeah. But anyway, is that anything regarding what you were saying at all? Or did I take it in the wrong yeah, direction? Yeah, no, yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. It, it, it reminds me of, do you remember how uh, in I Love Lucy in the earlier seasons, they had two separate beds? Lucy and Ricky mm. had like twin beds. I was not an I Love Lucy uh, follower. I, so. I still am. And so like when I was a kid, my great-grandmother and great-grandfather also had separate beds, twin beds, right? Yes. And I, what I remember being told was that the reason for that was that on TV, they thought it was too salacious to show even yes. a scene that there was one shared bed. But what I, something that I later learned, and hey, I don't know for sure, but something that I later heard that, that made it make more sense why my great-grandmother and great-grandfather would have also had separate beds was maybe related to this idea of mercantilism or something to do with this Darwinian um, survival of the fittest situation, this idea that we are constantly in competition with all organisms around us for Mm. a finite set of resources, including as we sleep. And so if you sleep too close to another person, you'll be unconsciously battling it out for the best air in the room or something Ah, like that, Interesting. And Mm. so you had to have some separation in order to survive the best air. I felt like I could turn this into a connection to the beginning of this chapter when I launched into it. And now I have totally lost that. We're definitely, <laughs> so competition of resources, right? Competition of resources is definitely something that we want That's to transcend. Because we've okay. got the resources and it's, and it's like blowing is taking it. The fingers are taking it. Like everything's exactly. taking. I, we can haul this in. Yeah. We can haul yeah. this in a little bit. Does, does anybody out there, hey, raise your hand out there. If you ever feel like you got the music going pretty good on the practice channel, but then when you try to play it on the full pipes, it regresses, it goes backwards, and it doesn't sound nearly as good on the pipes as it yeah. does on the practice channel, right? And that's a competition of resources issue, just like the Netflix streaming thing. 
was a conflict of resources issue back in the day, not so much anymore because because we fi- they figured it out. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, we need to manufacture routers that can handle far higher bandwidth. And I think they've done that. I think internet speeds are probably faster, but that wasn't necessarily the issue. But I digress. And so it, it's a competition of resources problem. And then what we want to do, okay, as people who are interested in mastering the bagpipe or interested in improve, improving, we want to train our subconscious to handle all these subroutines automatically so that we can focus on what really matters. So what we're trying to do is solve the competition of resources problem, right? We don't want to have to think about how we're going to construct this rhythmically. We want it to just happen. And fascinatingly, interestingly, it's extremely possible to do this, and you see it all the time. One of the reasons Stuart Little can literally improvise sometimes when he's playing and take a tune in an entirely different direction is because he's not concerned in the least. It's not even remotely on his conscious mind whether or not what's coming next might be a quarter note or an eighth note or or how long those might be, right? It just sort of happens. And it doesn't just happen. It's a skill that's been learned over and over again over time. Another example, when you see Steph Curry dribbling around the back, spinning around, and then shooting three-pointers from half court, right? Is he thinking about walking or running during that process at all? I would imagine surely not. I mean, maybe, like maybe sometimes there's some fancy footwork that that might play into some of the artistry, but generally speaking, just running back and forth, it's not on his mind at all. Zero percent. Mm-hmm. And then same I think the same goes with Hamlet, right? If you're performing Hamlet, are you thinking about man, you might not even be thinking about the words you're saying, right? You might just are you might just know them in your subconscious. But mm-hmm. uh, but regardless, like you're still you're not thinking about how to pronounce the letter R. You're not thinking about nouns and verbs and adverbs and clauses yeah. and stanzas. You're probably not thinking about that at all, right? You're performing it. You, you've, you've delegated all those important fundamentals. There's off. a mastery of language by that point. That gives mm-hmm. you, the, you might say the freedom to perform. Amen, exactly. So there's a mastery of language which allows you to shift all of your focus to that sort of infinite space, right? You cross over the line, you move forward from finite to infinite. So now you're at the point mm. where you can literally potentially express anything that you'd like because of your mastery. Piping should so, be the same way. I think, and I don't, I in no way mean to speak presumptuously to say I spend my time across that line. I definitely don't. But I feel like I've got some peaks into it. And that kind of keeps you going. Yeah. And I think sometimes those peaks, those little tastes that you get of that, that flow state or mm-hmm. what, whatever it's going to be called, sometimes I do think I've experienced them personally, rarely. And th- those have been awesome and magical, yes. but way more often. It's I the golf paradox. The, it's the golf paradox. Yeah. Oh, the golf paradox. Yes. Which is that it, you only need a, pe- you need a, only need a peak t- towards the infinite, a shockingly few number of yeah. times to keep you going. So like mm. golf, every now and then accidentally you hit a great shot and that'll keep you going for hours mm. more. It's the golf problem. So I'm a terrible golfer. So in in the sense of getting the golf ball to do my true self-expression, to really express myself on the golf course is like ridiculously far off. However, one in every hundred or so shots, you hit a great one. And that'll keep you going. And you feel it. Like you can, you feel it in your whole body and like your soul and you just see the ball fly and you're like, that's (laughs) it. I've arrived. And you haven't, of course. Your next 99 shots are horrendous. But I think bagpiping is the same thing. 
every now and then the tuning of the pipes clicks a little bit and or and or the fingers are feeling a little bit good right now and you have a good tune or the band's rocking or whatever and you get a brief glimpse into what the possibilities could be and that keeps you hooked doesn't it can absolutely and mm-hmm. and i dare say that we can also get glimpses more frequently though perhaps slightly less potent than when we're experiencing the directly via consumption by which i mean you open this chapter mentioning vicky mcginnis simon mm. fraser university pipe band jack lee Stuart little alistair henderson that when you remember the first time you heard these people play live yes and it's so to me, relating it to my own experiences, I'm assuming that this is, I'm assuming that what you're writing about is something that I also can relate to where you're getting a glimpse by observing someone else in that state. And, yeah. And that makes you, maybe. oh, I see what could, yep. uh, sure. And maybe it's like relative to where I yes. am at this moment. I, see I think it's relative. And, go, oh. and it gives you like this idea of what it could be. And that mm-hmm. gets you really motivated to chase that. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And you'd have to like, at this point, you'd have to throw Matt McIsaac in there. He's done some mind-blowing stuff. And in my opinion, some of the Lincoln Hilton stuff is like that for me too. It's like, geez, wow. Okay. Didn't think of that. That's, that's pretty awesome. That gives me some more stuff to chew on. Yes, exactly. Matt McIsaac did this solo in Texas. And I'm trying to remember now, I feel like is the Maid of Barra, is that a tune name? Yeah, that sounds like like a tune name. Probably, right? I feel like that was part of the set. It's, but it's just, it's a solo performance that I go back to over and over again for years now. I go back to it and I use it with students to show them. One one thing that's cool about it is the camera is set up on stage slightly behind him. So you can see his bag arm as he's playing. And that's usually you want to see fingers, but you can see his fingers, but that's part of what's unique about it and is so great for students because you can see this bag control, right? That's so great. But I, even thinking about it right now, I'm getting goosebumps. And it's it's right that now. good. It's so good that even after years and dozens of viewings, it's still it's still that's that's my bagpipe music chapel right there. I can go back yep. there to get inspired whenever I need to. Yeah, and I remember that. I, and and then also Vicky McGinnis comes to mind as yeah. someone who was always just and that was as in my younger bagpiping life. I was coming up through the ranks. I was in grade two, the big hot shot. And I just remember. And then Vicky was another student of Donald Lindsay's at the time. And so we would cross paths and we played in the same band together for a little while and we would cross paths and sometimes we'd have lessons more or less at the same time, just the way that it worked out or what have you. And I just remember Vicky was just better than me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, ah, oh, damn it. Anyway, yeah. There you go. Freedom phase four. Let's get into it. So you That do was a say... lot of small talk. That was a lot of small talk. <laughs> that small talk turned into some big small talk. <laughs> You, you do say early on in this chapter that phase four is extremely difficult. Yes. Can we talk about why? Yes. Let's please do. Okay, good. So we'll talk the, earlier in Finding Bagpipe Freedom and just generally we talked about that there's 10 uh, essential fundamental skills that we need to master as bagpipers. Mm-hmm. These are the fundamental objective skills. We're not really talking about the subjective deep and meaningful expression things. We're talking about the objective fundamental skills that we're going to need to be able to do. Do you remember what they are? I remember sort of what they are somewhere. Yeah, they're in I will somewhere. now recite them in no particular order. Yeah. The order is extremely important though. Here we go. So we have, we've talked about this before. Yeah. See a previous episode. If this is going by too fast, but we've got rhythmic control, scale navigation, 
Excellent grace note quality, physical blowing mechanics, tuning the drones to each other. Identifying the Chanterite sweet spot, tuning the drones to the chanter. Awareness and avoidance of mental blowing anomalies. Embellishment mechanics. And then we have elementary expression skills. Like those are sort of like things that you're objectively going to do by default just as a bagpiper. And that's, mm. you know, we talk about ALAP ASAP sometimes or just producing that bagpiper high swing factor, long dots mm. and shortcuts. But I digress. Anyway, phase one dealt with rhythmic control, as you may recall. That was, that's one thing, which is cool. We like one thing at a time. By the yeah, way, we just, had someone, we just had someone cancel their membership because phase one was beyond their capabilities and they got stuck. Uh, and so they've moved on to other things. But it's, it's kind of ironic, right? So like in that phase, we have one thing to do, okay? Which by the way, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is, at least it's just one thing. We got one mm-hmm. thing we got to focus on. Phase two, where we're playing basic tunes on the practice chanter with just basic grace notes only. Interestingly, that takes into account scale navigation, but it also has to, we have also have to do grace notes and at the same phase because mm. you can't have melody without at least some grace noting. Phase two, we have two things to do. Really three, because we're going to roll in what we did in phase one into that. Right. See what I'm doing? So we're rolling out the red carpet here gradually. Yeah. Now in phase three, we shift gears. We drop those first three things. We're not doing rhythmic control, scale navigation, or grace note quality in phase three. Phase three was just producing a good steady blowing cycle with two drones going, right? Yeah. And in phase three, we actually have three things we got to do. Physical blowing mechanics. No, I guess it's just two. It depends if you roll posture in there. Physical blowing mechanics and then tuning two drones together. Those are the two skills that we're going to wrap up together. But it right? feels that, like so far, what you described in phase one, I can hold these things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Then I yep. put them down and I turn to phase two and I can hold these other things. Okay. So, it's, so it does not require little, high bandwidth. Yeah. It's a bandwidth issue. So mm-hmm. far, bandwidth required for the first three phases, very manageable. Okay. Now, let's say we're expert at blowing the bagpipe steadily with just two drones going. And let's say we're an expert at playing tunes on the practice channel with just basic grace notes. All we have to do now is put them together, right? Sounds simple. But it's not. And mm. that is not all we have to do. The bummer, the difficulty, the challenge is that as soon as we integrate the chanter into the bagpipes, we have to add in several new objective skills that we have to be able to do the moment that chanter is introduced. So not mm. only do we have the first five skills that we accumulated during the first three phases, but now we have three more that have to add in during phase four. Because as soon as you add in the chanter, you have to, we have to know about the chanter read sweet spot and we have to be able to produce that. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Then we have to be able to tune drones to the chanter. That's another thing, which by the way, can be quite tricky. And then we also have to watch out for those mental blowing anomalies. Now, you don't have to do all that at once, but mm-hmm. pretty early on in the process, you're going to want to be able to take care of that because we don't want to form any bad habits in any of those departments. We don't right. want to form the habit of chronically underblowing the chanter read, for example. That's a really common bad habit that people develop, and it's caused by this exact same bandwidth issue. It's like you're not going to be able to focus on that very easily the way we typically learn the bagpipes, right? There's just too much else going on. So you end up with a chronic bad habit where you're not blowing the full sound through the instrument. Same goes with mental blowing anomalies. That sounds like a big, complicated word salad. 
But I don't know about you, Jim, but you ever get to a, a tune where you play a high A and suddenly the pressure skyrockets up in your instrument, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. That's a mental blowing anomaly. Something we're doing with our fingers is causing us to have a psychological full body spaz there, right? Yeah. Or do you ever get to a difficult passage of music and kind of forget to blow? And then you end up choking out because you run out of air. That's very common as well. So those are all mental things that we're going to have to start to work out the moment we introduce the chanter in the mix. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's only I, it can't be only me that when I get to a difficult passage, my pressure goes down and at the same time my tempo goes up. Yeah, and well, and and, both, and it's not both that are messy, and it's not so much the tempo going up that's the problem. It's that you've lost rhythmic control, remember? Phase mm -hmm. one, all the way back to just basics of rhythm, right? Once we have to allocate our bandwidth towards operating the pipes, where does our bandwidth, we're not able to allocate it to rhythmic control, right? right? Unless we've actually developed our rhythm to a high standard, the odds that the tempo speeds up are very high. Occasionally, people will let the tempo slow down but it's certainly not controlled typically, okay? Yeah. And so the issue here is we want to move tunes onto the pipes without losing any of the stuff that we did before. Yeah. We don't want, when we turn on our Netflix high definition movie, we don't want to lose the ability to use our cell phone at the same time, do we? Right, right. Because we are screen addicted millennials who use our phone while watching TV. Exactly. I'm using the royal we here just to talk about myself. I'm not trying to lump anyone else in with me. My bad habits. Happens all the time. When my At wife night. and I sit down for a movie night, my wife doesn't even watch the movie anymore. She, <laughs> it's just something that we do sort of as a ritual, but then she just mostly uses her phone. The I'm, movie's the, not that, I'm that spouse in my relationship. I, it's yeah. always a laptop or a phone or just something. Just a scroll, yeah. See, I like a good movie. I, I'm a sucker for a good movie. I can put down the devices for those, but it, it's the, that ship has sailed for mm. others, I think. This is the point at which, like you were talking about, we've been able to pretty well manage the monotasking thing up until now, but mm. at some point we do, there is a like kind of dumping it all out kind of thing. And one thing that I don't want to over-sugarcoat this, and so feel free to push back against me on this, Andrew, but it seems to me like, what you're presenting is absolutely true that now we have all these things we have to worry about all at once. And it's absolutely true that we don't want to develop a bad habit. So we need to focus on all these things. Yes. But it does also occur to me that like, this can be very overwhelming. And it's like, at this phase, all of these things happen. But in a practice session, there is still room to focus on one of these things. Yes. The others will also be happening. And so if we can focus on them somewhat, that's going to be helpful. But if it's like, okay, I'm now in this new phase and I need to put the main part of my focus on mental blowing anomalies or whatever it is that time. I can do that. And while in this, in this phase, build each of these things up more and more until together they're strong. That's exactly right. Let's just rewind temporarily where you say that it's like phase four is very hard to do. Here's the first thing I'd like to put out there. I think it's harder on the ego than it actually <laughs> is on your capabilities, yeah. right? So it's yeah. very hard on the ego. And by the way, I experience this in my life in many areas. It's a keeping up with the Joneses issue. So it's like, oh, the people across the street with a bigger house than me also have fancier cars than me. 
right? Mm. And they seem to be running around doing all the fancy things all the time. And, and they clearly have a lot of money and wow, it must be so great to be them. And that's the way that it appears with this as well. It's like you, you are conscious of all the stuff you're trying to achieve. Then you hit phase four, which can really be, it can really seem like a brick wall. Oh my sure. God, I mm -hmm. suck. I'm terrible. This is the worst. What, why is it so hard for me? And you look at other pipers who are just blasting away on the full pipes with all the embellishments in, and they're doing the solo competitions. And you're like, man, it must be so good to be them. And mm. I would just encourage everyone to pause for a second and just uh, think about this, right? Just like the quote unquote happy rich family across the street with the really nice Instagram accounts, right? They might be dying inside or they might be buried under so much debt they just can't handle it or they might be totally vacant at home with their kids or whatever. Uh, and so it's usually a compare and despair. Comparison is a thief of joy. These sort of things come to mind with the, keeping up with the Joneses, but it's kind of the, the same is really kind of true with Pipers as well. It's like mm. you, you might see your buddy plant competing in grade three and you're, you haven't even managed to get a prize in grade four yet. But if mm. you're doing, obviously, right, phase four doesn't have any embellishments in it. <laughs> Just throwing it out there, right? And this is something that dojo students really struggle with. It's, oh, man, other people are playing embellishments and, and this thing that we're doing is stupid. But it's just like, man, I'm telling you right now, that person that, that's in grade three doing all that stuff out of order, slamming away on all the embellishments, like they've hit their ceiling already. Whereas if we can do this the right way and figure it out and work through it, and by the way, persevere a little bit, the sky will be the limit, mm. right? So it's like, do you want that ceiling? You know, do you want that ceiling where maybe someday getting a sixth place in grade three solo competition happens for you? Or do you want to, the sky's the limit. Like, why not go to grade one or pro or play in a high level band or jam it out? It's like the choice is yours. Yeah. I, I just having so much fun with metaphors here. If, if this is useful, it does occur to me. And I want, I'm trying to think how cautious I should be because I don't want to embarrass my friend. But I have a good friend who I happen to have played bagpipes with as well. So it feels very uh, yeah. fitting. Yeah, who, your um... friend. Yeah, your friend, Jim. Okay. <laughs> no, for, for, but for me, while still in high school, I started doing work for my dad's company, doing construction work. And right out of high school, I, I don't have a college degree. And right out of high school, I kept on that trajectory and was fairly quickly working in quality, safety, and general management in the construction sector. And so at, in my early 20s, I was doing really well financially and work-life balance-wise and stuff like that, right? I had a pretty mm -hmm. cushy job for an, a young 20s-year-old. Whereas a friend of mine was just struggling through dental school. Oh, yeah. Right? Living just poverty level, long hours all day and, and then all night to work to, to make up for it and stuff like that. And he and I, I, I recognized even from then, right, that I was comparatively having a great time in our early 20s. But I knew that there would come a day, <laughs> mm -hmm. probably about our mid-30s, that he would have a much higher ceiling of potential yeah, than leverage. I would have. And that definitely, that's the way it's played out. And, and, and it's not, there's not like a jealousy thing here or anything like that. That's just the way that these things go, right? And mm -hmm. if that's a useful way to think of this bagpiping thing where it's like, is it really worth it to take the time to work through these phases? <laughs> it is, because it, it like you say, it gives you this way bigger potential for growth and improvement and, and expression and all kinds of things later. Whereas if you rush it and don't really think about these things, you're going to, you get stuck. And I've been stuck with my piping. Yes. And so I'm saying that as a person who's been stuck for many years because of that.
We talk about this at the beginning of Bagpipe Freedom or at the beginning of Finding Bagpipe Freedom is like, why are we doing this? Okay. Mm. And the answer that I keep coming back to is even before I started piping, the reason I decided I thought it was awesome was because it's a great, it's a great medium to express myself. I pictured myself playing amazing music on this really cool instrument that moved people, right? Like nobody, grace, but... zero people, even the people right now whose goal it is to just sneak a prize in grade three solo competing, right? Mm. None, no one, no one saw the bagpipes and thought to themselves, oh my God, I can't wait to maybe someday take a sixth place in grade three solos. This, that is the reason I want to do this. No one thought that. Even the people who are storming the boards in the A grades in Scotland, that's not the reason they started playing. They started playing because mm-hmm. bagpipes are awesome. And, and, and maybe some people find happiness in, the, in solo competing, and, and that can be a really cool avenue to express yourself, but it's not the only one, right? Mm-hmm. And regardless of what medium you choose, you're going to need to develop the fundamentals. It's just the same thing with chess. It's my brother's a way better chess player than me. But for either of us to improve, it's going to come down to development of the fundamentals. You got end game and middle game and openings and tactics and strategies. And you have to develop an understanding of these things, I I think. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. I am a lifelong lover of the game of chess, but I have forever been surrounded by cousins, uncles, friends, et cetera, who are willing to read chess manuals. And I've never taken the time. I've won. I could probably count the number of chess chess matches that I've won on one hand, though yeah. I've played hundreds. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's always going to be a balance, right? There's always going to be stuff that you're doing that that feeds the ego. The ego needs a, some nourishment. So get out there, go ahead, do your solo competing, get those prizes. But there needs to be. You need to have a healthy diet with the meat and the vegetables. We need to develop some sort of routine where we're looking at these fundamentals. And the, that, the bagpipe freedom process is a very good system for load balancing that process and making it manageable in the typical person's real life. Yeah. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So, so it, what else we got? What, is there anything else you'd like to ask me, Jim? Yeah. I want some more wisdom. I want to know what the second rule of the internet is. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm, I'm um, still... You know, well, now that you've, yeah, you finally solved the first rule there, Jim. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I'm maybe I'm ready for the next one. Hey, everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.